Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by one of the men of Moses Lake Baptist Church. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5. You can also turn over to uh, Romans chapter 8 as well if you have maybe a bookmark or something uh, there in your Bible that you can look at a little bit later. But we're going to start off in Romans chapter 5. Have you ever made uh, just a, uh, a trade or a deal that was very lopsided? Uh, maybe it's been the result of trading with a sibling. Uh, growing up in our house, the, the one person that you never wanted to make a deal with, the one person you never wanted to trade with, uh, was my sister Harmony, uh, because she would always try and end up on top of whatever the deal was. Uh, it got so bad at one particular point that she tried to convince my younger sister Hannah, hey, I'll trade you four quarters for $5. I forget what it was that my sister Hannah needed some quarters for, uh, but my sister tried to trade her five for one. That's a pretty bad deal. Uh, There's been, however, some people that have gotten some really, really good deals. In the world of sports, uh, Babe Ruth was traded from the Boston Red Sox to the New York Yankees in 1920 contributing to the rise of Yankee greatness and beginning an 86-year World Series drought for Boston. That was a great deal for the Yankees. Cy Young in 1890, uh, after whom the famed Cy Young Award is named for uh, those pitchers that are particularly good, he was traded from the minor leagues into the major leagues in 1890 for one suit. One of the greatest baseball players of all time traded for one suit. In the business world, Henry Ford traded his considerable profit margin that he had been making with his vehicles, and he traded that for doubling his workers' wages. And that trade enabled him to attract the talent that he needed and helped ensure a class of worker who could afford the very products they were building. Henry Ford with a great trade off of that. The Louisiana Purchase was a great trade, a great deal for the United States. For the low cost of $15 million, the fledgling United States obtained $2.6 billion worth of land in the amount of 530 million acres. $15 million for 530 million acres. That was a great deal. Uh, When we look at the Bible, even, we can see in the story of Jacob and Esau, where Jacob got Esau to trade his birthright, which involved uh, the majority of his father's estate, the primary role of spiritual advocate for the family, and the special recipient of God's blessing. All of that was traded for a bowl of lentil soup when Esau was hungry. We can see many trades, many deals, many things happening Uh, in our world, in our own personal lives, Uh, but we can see it especially in the book of Romans. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5 if you're turning that way. There is a special emphasis in the book of Romans that Paul puts on exchanges. There's a lot of different things that he talks about that have been traded or exchanged one for the other. 
condemnation for redemption, sin for righteousness, uh, the exchange of Israel being uh, God's dominant factor for how he was working in the world, for now the church being the dominant factor in how God works in the world. Lives lived for ourselves, exchanged for lives lived for others. Paul talks a lot about trades, about exchanges in this book. And we're going to look at two specific trades today that really kind of uh, are the bedrock, are the foundation for how we are to interact uh, as Christians in this world. So if you're in Romans chapter 5, we're going to get started off here with this first thought of the trade of our sinfulness for Christ's righteousness. The trade of our sinfulness for Christ's righteousness. We can see this in Romans chapter 5 and in verse number 6. He says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, or perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Let's open up in a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll dive right into these two trades uh, that we're going to talk about this evening. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day, and Lord, we ask that you would uh, please convict our hearts of maybe, Lord, some steps we need to take or, or sins that we need to get rid of in our life, and Lord, we ask that you would encourage us by your Holy Spirit, that you would motivate us to be more like you and to love others the way that you do. We love you, Lord, and we ask that you would Uh, Please bless this message. We pray all this in your name. Amen. As we're looking at this first trade of our sinfulness for Christ's righteousness, uh, we can dive right into the passage and see some of the things that we had before we were saved. We can see there in verse number six, it says, We were yet without strength, we had weakness. There also in verse number six, it says, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. We had our ungodliness. In verse number eight, we can see that we were yet sinners. We had our sinfulness. We can see in verse number nine that it says uh, that God's wrath was on us. In that last part, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We had God's wrath on us because of our sin. And not only that, but in verse number 10, it says that we were enemies of God. We had enmity with God. If you look at that list, uh, it's not a very good list. We had weakness, ungodliness, sinfulness, condemnation, and enmity with God. This was our natural state. And for all of humanity, this is the state that we are in without Jesus Christ. Uh, all of us are sinners. All of us have done what's wrong. Romans chapter three says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Earlier in that chapter, it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. This was our condition. This was our state. But 
Jesus, when he came down to this earth, he lived a perfect, sinless life. He traded, when he went to the cross, some things for that list that we have. Everything that we had, Jesus traded for. And the first thing that we can see from the passage that Jesus traded was justification. Uh, We can see there in verse number nine, it says much more than being now justified by his blood. You see, Jesus had a perfect standing before the Father. Jesus had never once sinned. He had never once done anything wrong. And in this great exchange that he made, uh, really this lopsided trade that he made, he took our sinfulness and in turn gave us a right standing before God that now we are justified. Not only that, but we have received salvation. There in verse number nine, again, it says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We have salvation with God. And uh, I'm so thankful that it's not just that we have a right standing before God, but we are now saved and we can never go back to the way that we used to be. We will never again be in the place before God that we were. We shall be saved from wrath. All of us without Christ We're headed for a Christless eternity in hell. And Jesus did not want that to happen. And so uh, to save us from that, he made that great exchange, that trade. Not only do we see that, but in verse number 10, we can see reconciliation that Jesus brought us. It says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. It's an incredible thing that once we were far away from God, that we were separated Uh, But now we've been reconciled by that. Not only do we receive that reconciliation, though, but we can also see in verse number 10 that there's sanctification that we received. Uh, We can see there, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So there's that reconciliation, that salvation. But then it says, much more being reconciled. And not only were we reconciled to God, that now our position with God is not far off, but now we've been reconciled through Jesus, but we are being reconciled as we can see there. Uh, That's that process that we sometimes call sanctification. It's that process by which God takes who we used to be, uh, our old desires, our old actions, and begins to make us more like Jesus now. And so we can see that we are being reconciled to God Uh, just as truly as we were reconciled to God. So not only is our position now uh, that we have that relationship with God, but we are becoming more like our Savior each and every day due to that. Next, we can see in the passage that we are Uh, that we've received glorification, that we are uh, one day going to experience the complete abolition of sin and its effects in our lives. Uh, We can see there uh, there at the end of verse number 10. Uh, It says, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Uh, I just love all of these verb tenses that it has in there of were reconciled, being reconciled, shall be saved. There's coming a day when we no longer have to deal uh, with sin being in our lives. We no longer have to deal with all of these effects of sin, of death, of diseases, of any of that. We received the promise of glorification from the Lord.
These are all things that Jesus traded in exchange, if you'll look back there, in exchange for our weakness, our ungodliness, our sinfulness, our condemnation, our enmity with God. He traded all of that for this list here. Not only that, but we can see in verse number 11, it says, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He also gave us joyfulness that we've received. It's no longer that we have to uh, be worried about what our eternity will be. We don't have to be worried about what our standing before God is. We know that Jesus was perfect. And because of that exchange that he made, because we are justified, because we are saved, because we are reconciled, we can know for sure that our standing before God is set. If Jesus had some imperfections, if Jesus had some sins, if he had some things that he was not perfect in, then we might worry of, okay, I wonder if Jesus' righteousness is enough to keep that relationship with God. But because Jesus is completely perfect, we can know that our standing before God is sure. We can have joy in that. Not only that, but we can also see that we have forgiveness. There at the end of verse number 11, we join God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. And that atonement is uh, that thought of redemption. It's being bought back. It's that the price is paid, that we have forgiveness. If you look at these two lists, uh, it's, uh, it's mind-blowing to me the difference in what we had and what Christ gave for us. Uh, it reminds me of the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I believe it's verse number 21. It says this, For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's this incredible trade that took place. Uh, not only in this list, but we can see elsewhere in the Bible, and you can look at some of these passages later if you so desire, uh, but we can see that not only did Jesus trade all of those things, but he traded our price, the price of our ransom for his very life. He traded our best efforts instead for his strength, and we can see that in Galatians 2. He traded our punishment that we deserved for his freedom, and we can see that in 1 Peter chapter 2. Our shortcomings were traded for his complete justification. We can see that in Romans chapter 3. And not only that, but he traded our lawlessness for his sinlessness there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This was an incredible trade that was made, the trade of our sinfulness for Christ's righteousness. And can I remind us this evening that it wasn't that Jesus owed us this trade. It wasn't that oh, well, God, maybe because you're good, uh, you have to save us. You have to make this trade. No, in truth, justice demanded that the price had to be paid for sin. And in all fairness, Jesus should not have been the one to pay for sins that he never committed. But Jesus so loved us. I love the word in Romans uh, 5 and verse number 8. I'm going to go back there on the screens real quick. Right there at the top where it says, God commendeth his love toward us. And uh, that word is kind of an older word that it, it doesn't simply mean to demonstrate, but it also kind of means uh, to adorn, to crown. It's like uh, making as picturesque and beautiful 
and uh, regal as possible. And I love uh, kind of the word adorn, uh, maybe to describe that. But God adorned his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This trade was not due to something we deserved. Instead, it was due only to the love of God and what he did for us. But not only in this trade was it uh, Jesus uh, and his righteousness exchanged for uh, our sinfulness. It wasn't just that Jesus took away our sin and then left us there. No, there was another trade that was made, and it was the trade of our separation for Christ's relationship. You see, we were, in every sense of the word, separated from God. In Ephesians 2, it describes it this way twice as us being dead in our sins. Uh, in verse number one of Ephesians 2, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then in verse number five, even when we were dead in sins. And in verse number 13, uh, actually, in verse number 11 of Ephesians 2, uh, we were in time past Gentiles in the flesh. Uh, verse number 12, we were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Uh, and there in verse number 13, you can see that it says that we were far off. Not only that, but in 1 Peter 2, it describes us as sheep having no shepherd, that we were as sheep going astray. Uh, we can see in the life of Jesus when he took on that separation from the Father. And it was on the cross when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so, why art thou so far from me? And as I was thinking about the separation that Christ endured, it made me think of this messianic psalm, Psalm 22, where David's writing uh, kind of from the viewpoint of what Jesus felt when he was on the cross, the separation from God that we deserved, that we were born into, and what that would feel like to Jesus. So I'm going to read just a few verses from this chapter. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded, but I am a worm and no man a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. There in verse number 11, be not far from me for trouble is near for there is none to help. In verse number 12, many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. And you can see kind of the parallel there between uh, these bulls that 
David writes about in the psalm and how the Roman uh, how the Romans were mocking Jesus and uh, how uh, the Pharisees uh, back there in verse is number seven and eight they mocked and they said hey if God really loved him God would save him in verse number fourteen we can continue to see how Jesus felt separated from the Father. And on the cross, pain for our sins. He says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns, or there the wild ox. Can you see in that passage uh, for telling Christ and his suffering the separation that he endured? How many times he cried out for help to the Lord and it ended in Jesus' death. That the sky went dark as the father turned his back on his son bearing the sin of all the world that God who is too holy to behold sin had to turn his back on his only son so that we would receive a relationship with God. This is the wonder of the trait of our separation for Christ's relationship. And very quickly, we're going to look at some aspects of that relationship with, uh, with the Father that Jesus had that he traded to us for our separation. In the place of our separation, we instead now receive no condemnation. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and you can turn over to Romans 8 because we're going to be uh, going through a, a few parts of this chapter uh, to look at. In Romans 8, in verse number 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We can see here that there's no condemnation. You see, there was never a point in all of eternity that Jesus was anything less than perfect. There was never a point in Jesus's relationship with the Father that that God the Father said, uh, Jesus, you are wrong in this area. There's condemnation for you here. Uh, There's punishment that needs to be meted out. You have fallen short in this area. Uh, there's never been a time in Jesus in, uh, in Jesus' entire existence that that has ever happened. And in the trade of our separation, Jesus gave us now no condemnation before the Father. So many people think of God as up in heaven. Um, maybe they picture Zeus with his lightning bolt ready to uh, strike anyone uh, that does anything wrong at any time. Other times people think of God as being this horrible judge who's just ready to drive the gavel down and sentence, and sentence us all to condemnation and to hell. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus traded the condemnation that we justly deserved. We've spat in the face of God. We've said, God, 
I don't want to think about the things that you want me to think about. I don't want to say the words that you want me to say. I don't want to be nice to people like you want me to be kind to people. I don't want to do what you want me to do. All of us have spat in the face of God. We deserved condemnation and separation, but Jesus traded our separation for no condemnation. Not only do we have no condemnation because of our new relationship with the Father because of Jesus, but we have now adoption and God is our Father. You might say, that seems kind of uh, redundant that there would be both adoption and God being our Father. But we have to look at adoption in the way that the Romans would and how they viewed it uh, in this first century. Adoption was not simply a thing of, okay, now you are going to be my child. Before you weren't my child, but now you are my child. No, adoption in this day and age uh, was more of a uh, social standing type thing, if you will. It was a, a matter of inheritance that maybe you'd have a Roman nobleman uh, that did not have um, that did not have a male heir of his own. And so he would adopt a person who uh, had no land, had no uh, wealth or esteem or riches or anything like that. He would adopt someone from another family as his own son. And then uh, he was raised as his son. And when the time came that the son uh, was old enough that he was considered a man, considered able to uh, really inherit all that the father possessed, when he became of that age, then he became the heir. So our adoption before God is not simply, hey, now you're part of God's family, but you're heir to all that God possesses. And can I let you know that God owns everything, that there is nothing that God has that he has not freely given us in Christ Jesus. And we'll see that more uh, later in the chapter. Uh, but we can see in verse number 14 of this chapter, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And I love that word Abba there. It's uh, kind of a, I believe, Aramaic word that would kind of correlate maybe to our word dad or dada. It's that uh, just kind of infant-like sound that one makes when referring to their father. So not only are we heirs of the father, but uh, he... He is our father, that he is our dad, that we have a special relationship with him. Uh, the, the Muslim faith, their God, Allah, is great. He's whatever they uh, would esteem him as, high, lifted up, whatever. But they don't have any sort of familial relationship with their God. The relationship we have with the father is exactly that that it's that closest bond that can be, that family bond that is unbreakable and can never be destroyed. Uh, we can see there in verse number 16 of this passage, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. I love the fact that it says that we are joint heirs with Christ. Uh, it's not simply that when uh, Jesus traded our separation for his position with the Father, it wasn't that then we became, okay, well, there's Jesus is God's favorite child, and then maybe the apostles go under that, 
and maybe pastors and then just the rest of us normal people. No, in that exchange, we are now joint heirs with Christ. And we can see later in the chapter kind of some more of what that entails. Uh, Not only this, uh, not only do we receive no condemnation in our new relationship with God, not only do we receive adoption and God as our Father, uh, but we also receive the Holy Spirit in Christ bringing our requests to the Father. Uh, We can see this in verse number 26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I love this passage in that it shows uh, so perfectly the Trinity and uh, how they all work on our behalf when it comes to our prayer. We can see in verse number 26 that even when we don't know what we need to be praying for, that the Spirit knows and He makes intercession for us. He brings our requests to God with groanings which cannot be uttered. So uh, when our hearts um, maybe are so troubled that we can't even find the words to pray to God, God knows exactly what we need, and the Holy Spirit brings those requests to the Father. Not only that, but in verse number 27, he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So not only does the Spirit bring our requests before God, but also Jesus himself brings our requests before God. He that searcheth the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. So not only do we see that the Holy Spirit brings our requests before God, that the Son brings our requests before God, but all of this is done according to the will of God. And we can see there then at the, ver- at the end of verse number 27, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That you can never, uh, you never have to wonder, okay, I have this prayer request. I want to bring it before God, but I don't know if God cares. I don't know if it's important to God. God says, hey, every part of who I am, every person of the Trinity is all in to bring our requests before God. God cares about the things that burden our hearts. God cares about the things that we pray for. And we can see this explained even further in the fact that we have now the never-ending favor and love of God on our lives as a result of what Jesus did. Romans 8, 31 through 39 say, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Uh, Here Paul is saying, hey, if God gave Jesus for you, what won't God give you? Uh, In this next uh, verse, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is going to accuse us before God? It is God that justifieth. God was the one that says Jesus's payment is satisfactory for your sin. So because God justified, there's nothing that Satan can ever bring before God and say, hey, I know that Brian did this and this is too far. Robert did this and that uh, should take away his standing before God. No, God himself was the one that said Jesus' payment 
is satisfactory for it all. It says, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. No one can come up and accuse the brethren before God because Jesus already took all of the punishment when the, when the accusations come from Satan, when the accusations come to our heart and we know that we've sinned and we know that we've done wrong, we know that we have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus already paid for it. When our accusations are brought before the Lord, you can almost think of it as Jesus showing his hands, showing his feet, showing his side that was pierced and saying, I already paid. Not only that, but then we can see in this verse, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I hope that that encourages you that not only do we have uh, this relationship uh, with God because our sinfulness was traded for Christ's righteousness, but our separation from God was now been, has now been traded for a relationship, uh, that now we have no condemnation because of what Christ has done. We have God as our Father, and we are adopted as joint heirs with Christ. Uh, the Holy Spirit and Christ bring our request to the Father And the Father wants those requests. And we have the never-ending favor and love of God on our lives because of what Christ has done. In all of this, there really become two pertinent questions for us then. Have we traded our sin for Christ's righteousness? We've gone through a lot of great things, uh, a lot of great things this evening that Jesus traded to us for our sinfulness and for our separation. But maybe you're watching tonight and you've never accepted Jesus's gift of salvation. You, you have never made that trade of your sinfulness and your separation from God for Christ's righteousness and Christ's relationship with God the Father. That can be something that you can do tonight. Uh, it's not a thing of, okay, well, I've got to do this many good works in order to trade with Jesus. It's not that, oh man, I have to get baptized in order to make that trade with Christ. No, Jesus has already paid all of it. And in Romans chapter six and verse number 23, the apostle Paul says it this way. He says, the wages of sin is death. Uh, The penalty for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus already paid the payment for sin. And now all we have to do is accept that gift. Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 and 10 say, I'm going to turn there very quickly. Romans 10, 9 and 10 say, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with, the fa- and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So has there ever been a time in your life when you've traded your sin for Christ's righteousness? 
Maybe you'd say, yes, I, I've done that. I know Jesus as my Savior. I have, uh, I have Jesus' payment for my sin. But can I tell you that that's not where the trade stopped. We can also trade our separation for a relationship with God. That happened at salvation, that now we have a relationship with God that we have access to. But how many times in my life and in your life do we go back to thinking that we are condemned before God? How many times do we think that God is just a judge or God is just looking to punish us instead of realizing that God is our Father? How many times do we think that we have nothing in life when we are joint heirs with Christ? How many times do we think, okay, God doesn't want to hear my prayer requests how many times do we think God doesn't love me anymore? God's not for me. Can I tell you to embrace the new relationship with the Father that we've been given through Jesus Christ? It's not a thing of, okay, now that I have this relationship with God, I'm gonna do everything I did exactly before when I was separated and far away from God. No, now we have the opportunity to live and rejoice in this relationship with the Father. This evening, tomorrow, throughout the rest of our week, are we going to live like we're separated from the Father? Or are we going to live like we've been reconciled through Jesus Christ? And have you traded your sin for Christ's righteousness? Have you been saved? Have you accepted Jesus' payment for your sin? I said at the beginning that there's been a lot of great trade deals. There's been a lot of great business deals. There's been a lot of great exchanges that have happened. And there's a lot of very lopsided ones that have happened. In our life, the greatest trade that's ever been made has been that of Jesus's righteousness and Jesus's relationship with the Father for our sinfulness and our separation. Tonight and through the rest of this week, are we going to live like we've had a part in that trade. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.